welcome to Where RA Now, a podcast dedicated to catching up with former RAs and hearing where their journey of life has taken them since their glory days at New York University. I'm tonight's co-host, Cam Messenger, a junior from North Andover, Massachusetts, studying political satire and an RA in Weinstein. And I'm Tom Ellett, the other co-host and serve as a Senior Associate Vice President of Student Affairs. Cam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you. Tell me a little bit about what it's like to be an RA in Weinstein. There are some stereotypes about Weinstein. I know. People definitely think that I'm like a prison guard because they assume it's a jail cell. But um, actually, you know, we rock the cinder block, I think. Does that uh, able to decorate it pretty well, uh, the cinder block? Oh, for sure. The only way to get through life in Weinstein is to decorate your cinder block walls um, with blue regulation tape, obviously. No other red tape or any other tape. It's got to be oh, blue. Oh, it's got to be blue. Painter's tape. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about political satire and, and, and how you study that in terms of your concentration. For sure, yeah. So I'm studying political satire um, in combination with screenwriting at Gallatin, um, which for me just means like how to write for late night television 101. Um, and that in combination with working like different internships and different jobs, in addition to my RA role, um, is kind of giving me like a breadth of experience um, about writing for late night and about like, I guess, examining political satire through the screenwriting lens. Do you get any fodder for what you're gonna do being an RA? Oh, for sure. I do a lot of stand-up. Aside from political stuff, talking about being an RA has been like the past six months of my life on stage, which has been great. Anyone in the audience have served as an RA? No, but I actually, so I was working on a show this semester called Broad City and my boss at this show that I was working on for Comedy Central actually was an RA in Founders three years ago. Really? Yeah, so I was hired there because he saw my resume that I was working in Weinstein. Wow. It was really cool. Do you want to give a shout out to that person? His name is Jeremy Wong. He's really I cool. I know Jeremy, yeah. He was, he was the president of uh, Program Board. Yeah, he's really awesome. I ended up actually running rally with his former RHD, RJAD, Paula. So, you know, making connections everywhere. Look at that. Yeah. What about tonight? Oh, tonight we have a great guest. Who? Today, our guest is John Fugelsang, who served on staff as both an RA and Hayden under Eileen Sullivan and Lisa DeTulio Russell, and a summer RA and assistant hall manager in Weinstein under Jack Guarini, John Schwinger, James Kim, and Jerome Pinkins during the late 80s and early 90s. Welcome, John, and thank you for joining us on today's show. It's a real pleasure having you on. Thank you. It's great to be here. How are you tonight, and where are you? I'm very good. I am in uh, Manhattan, where I still live, although now I'm on the Upper West Side. But I, I do still own my bachelor pad in the West Village, so NYU is still very close to me. John, when you were here at NYU, what did you study? I was in the drama school for two years and then graduated from the School of uh, Film and Television. Awesome. And tell us, what have you done since you graduated from NYU? I have been a comedian and an actor and a broadcaster and a TV host and an off-Broadway binologist and documentarian. I haven't done a podcast yet, but uh, right now I do a daily show on Sirius XM. And I've been regulars on everything from CNN to MSNBC to America's Funniest Home Videos. I've been murdered on CSI. I got George Harrison to give his last ever interview on VH1. And I have had a truly eclectic career. Did you always know that you wanted to go into the world of entertainment 
specifically comedy? I always knew that, yes. And I, I knew that I wanted to do a lot of different things. Is there anything you haven't done? Oh, there's lots I haven't done. Yes, yes. Releasing an album next year. I've had an album out before, but never my own. So I'm excited about that. And a few other things that are pretty fun. When you were here at NYU, were you involved in extracurricular activities? Well, a few. Yeah, I did a lot of theater when I was at NYU. I didn't start doing stand-up until I graduated. And when I finally did, my first open mic was at the Boston Comedy Club, which was right around the corner from Judson Hall. Mostly theater when I was there. And then, you know, being an RA took up a lot of time. Based on your interest in theater, like what made you apply for the position in Res Life? Well, you know, it was always an economic consideration. My dad had been a teacher and my mom was a, a nurse. And so I had a couple of scholarships to get me through NYU, but we had to do anything we could do to survive. So in the beginning, I don't mind admitting my initial attraction was purely economic. Very early on, I came to understand what this job was going to do for me. I always had a vague sense that it would be a really good thing to do, but I didn't really understand how good it was going to be for me until uh, I began the training. And I found that I was uh, pretty good at it and it made me a much better person. What kind of relationships did you have with the residents? Generally, pretty positive. You know, I learned a lot about how to wield a tiny bit of authority with grace and respect. You grow up and there's these like people I call a church usher disease. They have a little tiny bit of power. Like when you go to someone's church and there's the older white male usher who's a little too intense with the power. Church usher disease uh, afflicts a lot of people with, with small bits of authority. And you, you just understand you're here to do a job. So if you're my friend and we have a good time together, it's great. And if you get caught giving alcohol to an 18-year-old girl, I am obliged to write this report up and you don't get to be mad at me because you're the guy forcing me to do this. That makes sense. Um, do you stay connected to any of your residents? Yeah, I, I do. I, I really do. I mean, there was hundreds of them at Weinstein when I was the assistant hall manager. I just, I, I knew everybody at some point. I was the guy when they would come into the, the office before they would get to the manager, they would have me. So yeah, I see people all the time. I mean, I, I married one of them, but uh, I had some of my best friends really are people that I was an RA with. I still talk to a lot of people and I'm still pretty close to a, a number of people that I knew back then, hall managers too. What did your wife do? She was an RA, you said? She was an RA at Hayden a few years after I was there. Yeah. She's a VP at a tech company. Good for her. Excellent. What surprised you about being on the staff? How enjoyable that whole kind of vibe was, how really positive an experience it was emotionally. It, it made it, it was a very happy time. And it was a lot of people that were working really hard, getting their room and board paid for for college and uh, helping out their parents a lot. But they were all people that were picked to be really good at it. So it was kind of like nice at that stage of life, your late teens, early 20s, to be around just a lot of positive people. I think that was a real blessing. There is a lot of that in Res Life for sure. In terms of you, you transitioned from the RA position to a full-time position. What made you want to do that for a period of time at that juncture in your career? Well, I was only 20 years old, to tell you the truth. I graduated high school very young and I graduated college very young. And I didn't really know what I was going to do with myself. And I knew I didn't want to move back in with my parents on the Isle of Long. So I had to get a job somewhere in the city. I just heard through the grapevine that an assistant hall manager job was opening up at Weinstein and I went for it really hard and I, I had to apply to all the my boss's bosses 
for the position, but I had just worked on the Nelson Mandela rally, so I knew that I uh, I looked good. I didn't even know that was going to be the case, but uh, I had something to talk about in all my meetings, and it was really, really uh, an exciting time to be in New York City. So I wound up getting the job. I was only 20 years old. Nobody knew I was that young. I was going out to happy hour with all the hall managers, and I wasn't legally allowed to be out with them, but no one knew. So it was uh, kind of disconcerting, but it wound up being a great job because nine to five, I had a really structured time, and I learned a lot of great administrative skills. And then um, in the evenings, I could go off and do theater and do stand-up. At what point did you make the full transition from working in res life and working as you know the assistant residence hall director to doing comedy and theater full-time? About 18 months after my first open mic. And what was that like? It was scary to leave, but I felt in my bones it was the right time. By then, I had done six years at NYU Res Life, and... I, uh, I really admire people who can stay in the same position that long and maintain their eagerness and, and their, their enthusiasm. I, I needed a change anyway after six years. So uh, it, was, it wound up being a great decision. But I still stayed in touch with almost everyone that I worked with. In fact, just a few months ago, I was doing a, a show down near uh, Pace University and a whole bunch of my old NYU Res Life people showed up who I hadn't seen since the 90s. So it was really great because... They were difficult people, but of course, there were just so many positive people there, and that was a really good thing to be around at NYU. What do you remember most about NYU as an institution and being a student here on the square? Really feeling that some parents deserved much better than what they were getting uh, in terms of res life. I, I really had to deal with lots of parents being furious on a move-in day, and I bore the brunt of that for several years, and, and looking back on it, you know, there was areas where I think NYU could have upgraded back then. A lot of times I found myself like painting rooms before move-in day because there wasn't enough manpower to paint all the rooms that needed painting. So I was like literally running upstairs and, you know, mixing paint and, and getting rollers and painting dorm rooms so there wouldn't be rooms with, you know, graffiti on the walls. So stuff like that. But what I remember the most about it is just feeling like, they always say that NYU doesn't have a real campus. And then you go to NYU and you realize how ridiculous that is. It's just this beautiful semi-invisible campus stretching all around downtown Manhattan. And it, it was where my father had gotten his master's. And it was just a place where you were so connected to the past and the present and the future all at the same time. And Washington Square Park is a, a really magical spot in New York City and it always has been and has a really rich and scary history. And all the, when you think of all the history, the things that happened in the various buildings around Washington Square, you know, I didn't mean to get this long-winded about it, but there was a, just an integrity to the magic you felt at NYU. Did you find that a lot of the crazy stuff that you detailed about your time in Weinstein, like painting walls and dealing with parents, aided you in any of your comedy pursuits? No, no, not at all. But it gave me the confidence to start doing stand-up. So what advice would you give to somebody who is looking to start out a career in comedy? Just do it, you know, do a lot and see a lot and expose yourself to lots of different kinds and keep right every day because whatever you think you are, the first six months is not who you're going to be two years into it. So just get started and, and stay with it and find your voice. So after stand up, then you started to do other comedy and other kinds of things. Yes. Any that stand out for you as you look back on your career, any turning points that say, hey, this was a really good decision I made for, for my career journey? I've had a lot of really fun times and a lot of fun adventures in TV. 
I've done some things that were just for the adventure of it and learning experiences. I've tried to do like some really mainstream things like America's Funniest Home Videos, acting on CSI or shows like Becker or Providence. And then I've, I've done some, you know, really niche things like uh, this film I did for PBS about the American dream or off-Broadway solo shows. To me, it's just all about finding lots of different ways to be a working artist and to be creative. I guess the same thing that wanted me to go to NYU to have an interesting life has kind of carried me forward professionally. Can you tell us about one of your most memorable moments working in comedy? I was invited to go to Haiti in 2010, shortly after the earthquake, to perform for the U.S. troops on their humanitarian mission. And that was something that I knew I couldn't pass up. My 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 father was very ill at the time. He was in hospice, but he, he told me to go ahead and leave the country. And it was a pretty incredible experience. I thought I had seen poverty before in Central America and South America, but I wasn't really prepared for what I experienced in Haiti. I had been at 9-11 a couple of days after the attack, but I wasn't prepared for the kind of suffering I saw um, in Haiti and the kind of dignity and grace I saw among the people of Haiti and the kind of emotion I saw in the faces of the soldiers on this mission to Haiti. And it was the sort of thing that made me really proud to be an American and really proud of our military. We went to Sean Penn's camp and uh, I'd only met him before at a party in LA, but he took us on a, on a whole tour where he had 55,000 people living on a nine hole golf course and working with the Army Corps of Engineers to make sure this tent city was safe in the flood season. So just, I got to see the best of humanity coming together with no profit involved. That was a very inspiring experience for me. It has made me mindful of when I feel like complaining about stuff in my life. Was it difficult to look at all of these difficult circumstances or like areas and then turn around and do comedy there? Yes. How did you do it? Because the guys there needed to laugh. So you just get up there and talk about stuff and then just play around and make it outrageous. They were great audiences. We really played a lot and had a lot of fun. The nice thing about military shows is that when you first get there, the commanding officer always welcomes you. And at some point in his official welcome to guests, mentions how they prefer you don't use any kind of profanity. And then he's done that. He has to do that. And then you go on stage and you say to the troops, hey, uh, your CEO told me that we really shouldn't do any cursing. And then you have a thousand men show up and say, no way, fuck that man. We're here fighting for your First Amendment rights. You fucking say fuck if you want to say fuck. <laughs> and then you did. And the whole, yeah, and the whole time the commanding officer's on the side laughing his head off because he has to come out there and tell you not to. And it's just, it's part of a little very charming ritual. And uh, so, you know, to see that much male energy from America in the military on a mission to one of the poorest spots in our hemisphere in the only society that's ever successfully where a native population has driven out their enslaving oppressors. It, it was a very, very spiritually moving experience. Well, appreciate you doing that um, sincerely for a really devastating time in a part of our world that uh, has seen too much devastation. Well, thank you. Yes, I, I'm very proud of the dick jokes I brought to the people of Haiti. And I'm sometimes humbled at, at the grace I showed in Haiti telling my dick jokes to uh, to some drunk Air Force guys. So thank you. John, the difference between live and taped. So you did America's Funniest Video taped. Uh, how do you change? And, and, and how do you, because I, you get the sense or sometimes I get the sense from taped shows that there's this canned laughter and canned kind of process. How is it? comedian do you kind of grapple with those two worlds well america's funniest home videos you know i was very young when i 
said yes to that job and and I never really took it all that seriously. I didn't really know how to play it. I was led going in to think it was going to be a much more edgy show, but the people were wonderful there and I had a really nice time, but I I knew that I wasn't the right fit for it. So I I actually wound up staying like much longer than I thought it was going to be originally. Sometimes you do shows and you realize in the first six months, you're like, oh, I'm leaving at the end of this media contract. And something like that happened recently. But that was a show that went on a bit longer than I expected and uh, wasn't my thing, but it was really, really delightful. And uh, I learned a lot from the experience and moved on. Sort of like what the RA experience was. My wife and I, both as XRAs, we're always talking about RA training and uh, how we find it applying in unlikely times of our lives. Like what? If you're speaking to a group very often, if you have to manage groups, if you have to delegate things, if you have to be an authoritarian. Have you ever had to flex those RA skills in the world of comedy? I mean, sure, sometimes, yeah. Sometimes you have to you have to get an audience to settle down. John, let's move on to Fast Takes, our speed round. Uh, we ask you a question, you give us your initial response. Favorite tradition at NYU? Ooh, favorite tradition at NYU. We would go up every year on December 8th. We would go up to John Lennon's uh, Imagine Circle on the Upper West Side to commemorate his death. That was a pretty cool thing. And, you know, politely turning down drugs in Washington Square Park. Best dining hall? I'll say Hayden, but our dining halls were like black and white silent films compared to the 3D full color uh, digital masterpieces you have now. A lot more of that. That's true. Favorite NYU teacher? I'll, I'll say my residence hall manager, Jerome Pinkins, was my favorite uh, NYU teacher. I learned more from him than I learned from any professor. Any celebrity sightings as an NYU student? Many. Sam Shepard, Robert De Niro. My roommate, Frank, saw Lauren Bacall walking on Fifth Avenue. I was always jealous of that. Um, I saw, oh God, I mean, on the streets of New York, so many. And there have been so many over the years, too. But Sam Shepard and Robert De Niro as a young person were. And Christopher Walken, uh, when I was at Circle in the Square, I saw him. Yeah, quite a few. And finally, what was your most memorable experience in residential life at NYU? I'd have to say it's meeting the person who uh, worked for me as a summer desk attendant who wound up becoming an RA in Hayden, who uh, I wound up marrying. I love it. Great story. I have a horrible six-year-old child who's alive because of NYU. So you have one child right now? Yes. That's fantastic. Well, you have done wonderfully and made your alma mater proud. There's no question. Oh, shucks. Where where do you guys uh, do time? I'm in Founders Hall, one of the new residence halls. I do my time in Weinstein in the Cinderblock City. Brilliant. Yeah. Only building that's still Cinderblock. Hmm. Have you seen the film The Freshman? I have not. It takes place in Weinstein, and it's Marlon Brando and Matthew Broderick, and uh, he plays an NYU student who lives in Weinstein, and there are scenes where Brando comes in to visit him in his dorm room, and the rooms are comically large for an actual Weinstein room, but, but they filmed it there. That's so funny. And you, knew, and you knew Def Jam Records started at NYU. Oh, of course, of course. And Rick came back last year for the anniversary. Went back to his old room, and, and they filmed it with the students and put in the newspaper. Yeah, that was crazy. I just learned recently with the 40th anniversary of Stonewall coming up that a lot of the original planning sessions for different like LGBT like Rise Up protests and stuff started in the Weinstein subcellar they used to rent it out. That's right. That's right. And, you know, the, I know the guys who own Stonewall now. It's, it's not the original, you know, thing. They, they brought it back and uh, they used to work at the duplex. That's where I first met them. And then they, they brought Stonewall back and uh, now it's a landmark. And I'm really curious to see how much in the media uses the word riot and how much in the media uses the word uprising. That's going to be the most interesting part about it for me. 
John, thank you so much for spending some time with Tom and I to discuss your journey and where your life after MIU has taken you. This was a real pleasure. As always, thanks to our listeners who can stay connected with RE alums who are living the Dream School alumni version of life. John, thanks again. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy schedule. I wish you continued success in doing all the great things that you're doing, truly. You're so kind. John, thanks so much for spending time with us. Uh, really great career that you have going on, and we appreciate you giving back to NYU through uh, sharing your journey with us. Also, special thanks to my engineer, Juliana Fonseco Alesso, and to the current professional staff and alums of NYU who assisted these great RAs in skill acquisition along the way. If you like the show, look for more content on the website. And if you want to know RA's favorite books, go to whattheyreading.blogspot.com. Until next time, make people smile, laugh, and enjoy life wherever you are. Thank you.